up everybody my name is james d fiore and this is blackballed in 2003 american singer and actress barbara streisand sued photographer kenny adelman and pictopia.com for 50 million dollars for violation of privacy the lawsuit sought to remove image 3850 an aerial photograph in which streisand's mansion was visible from the public from the publicly available california coastal records project of 12,000 California coastline photographs documenting coastal erosion and intended to influence government policymakers. The lawsuit was dismissed and Streisand was ordered to pay Adelman's $177,000 legal fees. Image 3850 had been downloaded only six times prior to Streisand's lawsuit, two of those being by Streisand's attorneys. Public awareness of the case led to more than 420,000 people visiting the site over the following month. Two years later, Mike Masnick of TechDirt named the effect after the Streisand incident when writing about Marco Beach Ocean Resort's takedown notice to urinal.net, a site dedicated to photographs of urinals over its use of the resort's name. How long is it going to take before lawyers realize that the simple act of trying to repress something they don't like online is likely to make it so that something that most people would never ever see would then become apparent to many more people? He called it the Streisand effect. My guest today, after a report came out, libel suit followed by Shane Holmes' owners over Nenshi Entrapment story, we also covered here on the Dean Blundell Network, created a Streisand effect of its own, perhaps. Here to talk about that is my guest today, and his name is David Wallace. David. How are you, buddy? Right. <laughs> you got a million bucks? <laughs> um, no, not no. anymore. Um, the reason why I opened with the Streisand effect is because when this news came out, you called me and you were like, and I'm paraphrasing, oh my God, they've done it. They've opened themselves up. Now, the story of... The Nahid Nenshi takedown that we covered last week that was covered in, in Jesse Brown's Ratfucker. Um, the, the idea of being able to take down a public, a, 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 an elected public official like Mayor Nahid Nenshi um, through political fixing and through um, basically unscrupulous means was a story that hit nationwide. And the, the part of the story that became kind of remarkable uh, was all of this information nestled inside the Klondike papers was that the people that were uh, financing the job, Shane Holmes, um, it's, it's Shane, is it uh, Wenzel? Is that the last name? I believe so, yes. Yeah, Wenzel so. and his mom, Edith, are in the Klondike papers and they're giving $50,000 to a scheme while kind of like... Um, uh, calling you unsavory and this and that. 
but they gave $50,000 knowing where that money was going. Can you give us just a quick recap before we get into sort of the meat of what's happening today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, this all started off when I was still on the Patrick Brown job in Ontario. I'd noticed that my social media profiles had been creeped and uh, a gentleman had been following me. And I later found out that he had a friend inside Patrick Brown's uh, um, constituency office. Um, that person told me who it was. So I reached out to him in 2018 on Twitter with a direct message. Uh, we exchanged a few uh, words back and forth. Uh, he expressed an interest in Russia, um, that he had studied some Russian and uh, was planning on, uh, on going to Moscow. Um, that's where we left it. Then uh, many months later, uh, I received a message from Mr. Holman. We started talking about uh, corruption in Calgary. He offered about a political organization that, uh, excuse me, not a political organization, but a, uh, a political action committee that they had formed that had helped defeat the um, city of Calgary's desire to host the Winter Olympics. Um, then he asked me if I'd heard about any corruption on city council. And I had, uh, I don't study Calgary closely but uh, I did hear about some corruption. Um, the corruption that I heard about turns out later they were counselors affiliated with the very group that uh, wanted me to remove the mayor. But I didn't know that then. Um, so uh, Chad and I spoke back and forth. Um, he asked me uh, how it could be done and that he would like to help me expose the mayor and then inform me that he would speak with some money players who would uh, get back to me. Um, then he, uh, sometime later, maybe a month, told me that uh, there would be a woman named Prem Singh who would get back to me, that uh, she could fulfill my uh, um, requirement of having a ground person on site. Uh, a little while later, I got a call from Ms. Singh. The next day, I spoke with uh, Edith Wenzel and Shane Wenzel and Prem Singh. Um, I gave them the uh, broad overview of a plan. Um, they said they would get back to me. Then I got a call again from Prem Singh, and they were going to bring me in for Stampede Week. I would meet with Edith Wenzel, and it was my understanding that her approval uh, would constitute kickoff for the job. Um, irregardless, I was guaranteed uh, $25,000 for taking the meeting and uh, showing up and doing my prep work, uh, which I did. We met again before I left Alberta had the broad strokes of the job, uh, ran it past the clients, and um, I was told to go ahead, so I did. So I naturally assume that the Wenzels are my customer, um, unless somebody's telling me else uh, otherwise, and uh, um, that's not how this works. What was Edith Wenzel's demeanor when you met her? Because she seems to, in hindsight, make it seem like, oh, she was just uncomfortable with the whole thing, and you know, and that, uh, and that she didn't want any part of it, but she still handed over the money. Um, again, the money was paid, uh, I believe to Prem and Prem, uh, got it to me. That's how this worked. Um, it was, uh, she seemed very eccentric, uh, not, not, uh, particularly friendly, uh, at least towards me, um, or the other patrons in the Starbucks, but, uh, um, eccentric, but competent. Um, she didn't want to know, uh, daily details. She made that very clear. Um, 
and I made no promises beyond my prep work. I had to do my work up before I could implement any plans. You have to, you have to know the territory, not just the map. And that's part of doing the prep work, part of me being there early for Stampede. Okay. So when the news came out that, um, so, so if we go, if we, if we follow the Menchi story to its natural conclusion, um, basically the long short of it, because we've, we've covered this to death, was that um, a staffer from Nenshi's office was like, we, we can't do this meeting. You need to go through the proper channel. Is that basically what happened? That's it. And uh, that's where I think the confusion uh, came in. Uh, I had met with uh, Joe Maglioka and Sean Chu for uh, a couple of different lunches, um, along with Prem. Um, they were eager. Um, Joe Maglioka, somebody had obviously filled him in completely on my uh, reason for being in Alberta, which I was not happy with, but uh, I thought maybe it would uh, be beneficial. Um, but the problem was um, the bait that I was proposing to use, these gentlemen kept trying to get a piece of it for their own business interests, which was uh, quite frankly um, alerting the quarry, so to speak, um, so even if they were corrupt, I, how, how would we ever know? You never gave them a chance. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I've told you this before on air a couple times. The, the fact that they, they had to almost rely on the fact that you had no idea who Nahid Nenshi was. Um, like you may have heard of him, but I mean, his, his reputation is well above board. From you what know. I read, it was. But, I mean, that's not always the case that you find. Uh, you might have a good reputation, but then again, it might be quite easy to find chinks in that armor. Um, Nenshi wouldn't go for anything. He just he, he always referred me to um, the proper channels. The only counselor that I had um, consistent contact with was Giancarlo Carra, who uh, showed me around. He introduced me to a bunch of different uh, uh, business people in the community. He referred me to the Chamber of Commerce. Um, he sold the hell out of the city. And he was certainly eager to explore the possibility of bilateral agreements with the Russian Federation. But he never, ever, ever suggested that uh, there was some kind of a shortcut we could take. And uh, I was more than happy to let the process flow because, as I explained to my clients, just because nobody's biting now, you get the people in. There may be more opportunity. Maybe that's when this criminality that's supposedly there will come out of the woodwork. But uh, their tone and demeanor changed the longer it dragged on. Um, I don't manufacture things. I can't. If there's something there I can highlight or, or present the optics to, great. But there was nothing you could use. So Radfucker comes out. Um, and, uh, you know, the first episode is, is about the Nahid Nenshi scheme. And um, two more episodes followed over the next couple of weeks. And then the, the owners of, uh, of Shane Holmes, Shane and Edith Wenzel, um, file the, the libel suit. And let's, let's just go to uh, the part of the story where um, the reason why I opened with the Streisand effect. What does this do now? To the people that were involved in the scheme, the people that you met that were on the peripheral of the scheme, 
what does it do? And we're going to go down the line now to, to uh, like one after another, I'm going to, I'm going to put up pictures and you're going to tell me, you know, what a deposition would be like by questioning this person. But can you give me an idea of, of what this opens up? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, we can start off with um, people that we're going to depose who had knowledge of this job. The first uh, people I'm going to depose are uh, uh, Consul General of the Russian Federation in Toronto, Mr. Kirill Mihailov. Is that this that person? Official, that, that handsome gentleman right there with Mayor Patrick Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, so give us the idea. What, what would a deposition be like with him? Well, Kirill is the, uh, uh, the man diplomatically who comes in and uh, puts people together, such as uh, the next gentleman who will come up, uh, Mr. Strokoff, Sergei Strokoff, the economic development minister. Um, I believe, oh, there's that handsome fellow right there. Um, he looks mean. <laughs> well, James, the point is these people are not just diplomats. These are intelligence uh, uh, officers. Okay. They, they perform uh, dual duties in this country. Uh, another gentleman, uh, I don't know if you have his photo, would be the deposed or the uh, expelled, I should say, press secretary for the Russian Federation in Ottawa, Mr. Uh, Kirill Kalanin, who was removed uh, after a little kerfluffle with the deputy prime minister, Christian Freeland. Yeah, I couldn't find his photo. <laughs> he, he's so, now the the kept on bringing up sk- a skier. There's a skier with a similar name. So I, you know, unless this guy's a skier, you know, I don't know. He's now in charge of the North American debts, uh, uh, desk for uh, uh, counterintelligence uh, in oh. the Russian government. So he's a he's a wonderful fellow. He's great at playing the drums too. I mean, Kirill's a hell of a guy. And so you would depose these Russian officials because they were uh, aware of the scheme. Um, not all of them were aware of the scheme. Okay. Uh, I believe that Mr. Strokoff, uh, well, he wasn't briefed in by me, but Mr. Mihailov and Mr. Kalanin were certainly aware of what I was looking to do. It was the same deal in Brampton, bring in bilateral trade. Um, and anything else um, that I would need to do to achieve the goals, well, then so be it. You see, it's, it's, it's very important to remember here. There was never going to be any legal money brought in, simply the suggestion that that money was available, which would therefore be the bait for the supposed criminality of the mayor and uh, certain counselors. Bait that I'm happy to say they didn't take. Sad in a way because it made my job much more difficult, but uh, happy because uh, it was a pleasant surprise. And um, there's someone that's asking, uh, can't these diplos just uh, leave the country? They're not in the country right now, as far as we know. Already been expelled. Doesn't mean I can't uh, listen to the correspondence that Mr. Carraw had with them, my correspondence with them. That's all going to be a matter of public record. I certainly have the right to request their presence. Okay. Um, Let's go down the list a little bit more. Uh, And because some of these people I was surprised to see, like this, like this guy, Jason Kenney, what would he, what would you depose him about? Well, he was, uh, he was aware of it, at least according to Mr. Holman. Uh, Mr. Holman told me, and Mr. Holman, you'll find in the Klondike papers, there's, I believe, their text or email exchanges uh, where he offers to act as a go-between uh, between myself and the Wenzels to see if he can get this matter straightened up and uh, the rest of the bill that they stiffed me on paid. Is that Alan Holman, this one? That handsome fellow right there. He looks like he's already dead. Uh, well, you know what? Right now, he's probably face down somewhere. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll leave that one alone. There's a lot of jokes that I could tell you with that one, but I'll leave that one alone. 
Alan Holman has an interesting history too, because isn't he the person who facilitated the payment from Jerry Shapur to you in order to hunt down Richard Marsh? He certainly was. It's funny how all these guys are kind of like, they all got their fingers in pies that are all kind of the same pie. Like it's, He's it's, also the gentleman who offered to act as the go-between in 2021 between uh, William Moore in Simcoe County, a uh, crooked businessman in the UK, and uh, Councillor Sean Chu, who claimed he never spoke to me again uh, for a dirty plastics deal they were trying to ram through. Yeah, that was uh, another revelation uh, in the Klondike papers. Uh, he, he told the press, I think it was two weeks ago or so, that he hadn't spoken to you in, in three years. And then the Klondike papers clearly show that he was speaking to you in 2021. There you go. Um, yeah, and he's also been accused of raping a 16-year-old girl at gunpoint. And um, he continues to sort of become embattled. I'm sort of shocked he hasn't resigned yet. Um, but but that's another story. Okay, let's go down the line here. This person. Ah, uh, Captain Hairplugs. Jonathan Dennis, the uh, former uh, Solicitor General of Alberta. And uh, anybody who knows Jonathan will know this line. When the first day I met him, within the first 20 minutes, I heard, I'm not a poor man, but my clients, let me tell you, at least 25 times. Uh, he's the gentleman who hired me to get the phone logs for a reporter who apparently... Uh, Gave him a boo-boo face over guests at his wedding. And what was his role, if any, in this particular scheme? Uh, well, I got uh, Dennis's uh, work through Alan Hallman. And uh, when I first came to Calgary, we met up in September um, of uh, 2021 at the restaurant, Original Joe's, down the street from my house. We both lived on the west side of Calgary. Jonathan actually uh, scouted out and uh, secured the property that I was leasing uh, while I was there. Uh, he too, after hearing about my problems with the Wenzels through Allen, offered to mediate and speak with the Wenzels about getting me paid. This, this is crazy. It's like it's every villain in Alberta. Here's another one. Danielle Smith. Yeah, that was uh, the reporter. Um, I was told by uh, uh, Prem and uh, uh, um, that they were shopping for a uh, reporter that she was going to be speaking with Danielle. And then uh, the night uh, or the day, excuse me, it was the afternoon. We were on the way to Stampede. We met up with Joe Maglioka and uh, Danielle was there. He introduced me. Uh, she shook my hand, said, great, great, and moved on. I, I can't honestly tell you if she was paying any attention or not. Um, I never spoke with her one-on-one -on -one, uh, other than that. And um, that's all I know, but uh, sure is uh, curious. I mean, I, I don't believe they would tell me she was the friendly media, introduce me as such to her and, and not be serious. Yeah, we have to, we should pause here for a second, just because your witness list so far includes a sitting premier, a former premier, a former justice minister, a former mayor, because we would probably, you would probably call Nenshi as well, correct? Of course, of course. And what would be the reason to call Nenshi? Just to let, just, just uh, for him to say, yes, he did approach my office? Well, yeah, I mean that. And uh, also I, I uh, to confirm and collaborate that, uh, you know, the conversations he had had with Councillor uh, Kara. And then we have the former council of the Conservative Party of Canada, the former attorney for Stephen Harper, the former law partner of Ezra Levant, Mr. Gerald Shapur. 
Mm-hmm. Um, why would he be on the witness list? I'm going to ask you the same question every time, even if I know the answer, just so we, our audience gets an understanding. Well, because the first time I spoke to him through Alan's introduction, he said that I was being hired on Alan's recommendation because I had done some work, including some work about Mayor Nenshi, who he went on in quite some detail of what a horrible human being and bad mayor he had been. Yeah. Again, um, the people with the worst track records in the country um, trying to tell you that um, a person with the cleanest track record in the country is corrupt is delicious, if not tragic and sad and stupid. It was all culturally based. They kept telling me that every Ismaili person that he did business with were criminals and that they were receiving payoffs. Uh, and then she was receiving payoffs from from uh, this community, from Ismailis. And let me tell you something. I met several Ismaili uh, businessmen, including one young gentleman. I can't remember his name, but he was a developer, smaller developer. Um, we met up. Um, we all paid for our own lunch. And he was just about the nicest, most eager guy I ever met and straight as an arrow. Um, you know, these are the type of people that I was being told were corrupt. And it was simply motivated. My feeling was everybody whose skin was brown in their eyes was corrupt. And which is interesting because Prem Singh is an Indian woman, is she not? Yes, she is. And when things didn't go the way they wanted them to go, they threw her to the wolves. They said that she owed me the money, not them, which came as news to me because she didn't hire me. Um, she may have been the ground person, um, but she was not part of shaping the plan. She was my advanced person because I told them I needed that. I needed somebody to drive me around. I needed somebody to set up meetings. But the strategy was mine. I mean, I've heard people say, well, you know, it was Mr. Wallace's scheme. Did I design the setup? Absolutely. That's what they hired me for. They asked me, how do we get rid of the mayor? Literally, do they have a team of monkeys banging away on this? I mean, yes, I came up with the plan to get rid of him because you asked me to get rid of him and you needed a plan or else you wouldn't have needed me. Just a... Full disclosure to the audience, I actually spoke with Prem Singh on the phone today, and she seems very distraught. Um, you know, if, I think she has buyer's remorse now that she's been thrown to the wolves. Um, she kept on apologizing to me over and over again. I, 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 I asked her for comment on this. Uh, I asked her if she was surprised that the cast of characters that were um, involved in this scheme uh, would double cross her, and she she was close. I almost, I almost got her to, to answer, I think, but mostly she was like, I'm so sorry, James. I'm so sorry. I can't say anything. You know, you should just talk to David. I, I can't make a comment. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But it kind of goes to show, and it's happened to you, it's happened to you in a totally different way, but it's happened to you as well, where they can drive people pretty insane by turning their lives upside down and ruining them. That's what they did to this woman. I mean, they left there and basically dared me to try to collect the money from her. And I'm not about doing that. I mean, when I did get paid, uh, not even the final installment, but for the expenses, they went back on their promise to pay Miss Fing's expenses. They didn't. Um, I paid her expenses. I gave her the money. I said, because I'm not going to get any more money out of these people. I'm not going to finish the job. And I'm certainly not going to come after you for something that you were put on the job basically to be a mule for. Uh, it, it amazed me that they could just throw their supposed friend to the wolves. I mean, and after that happened, they were relentless on her. 
Alan Hallman stepped up his campaign of terror against this woman. I mean, they wanted her house bugged. He was obsessed about a website uh, alleging UCP voter fraud that went up that he figured she was behind. Um, it was disgraceful. They um, set up a meeting where they would have a, a, a meeting. It was actually set up by Nathan Jacobson. He was sick of the squabbling. He didn't understand what was going on. Uh, Prem was pitched to him as being a troublemaker. Alan and Prem sat down. That meeting was filmed. Um, and uh, Alan alleges that Prem tried to extort him. He had his friend. He said, I will have my friend Keith, the Calgary cop, call you. I'm going to turn this tape in. And, uh, you know, basically she tried to shake me down. I told the cop, I gave a statement. That's not what happened. This was a mediation. I don't believe that she was trying to uh, extort anything. Um, and not only that, he turned in a tape that turns out it was shorter than the one um, that was received, the full length tape. Um, it was a bullshit, bullshit way to try to entrap this woman and shift the blame. And uh, people say that I'm low or I'm the unsavory character. Well, I got news for you, lady. I'm not somebody who will double cross a friend, throw them to the wolves who didn't do anything wrong. You got no class. And that's a fact, Jack. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing at the Jack part. Um, Calgary Police, you said you were going to call um, one of the detectives to the stand? Or sorry, to, in the, to the deposition? Yes, I'm going to call the uh, cop that Alan uh, uh, provided to me and also the same cop that I gave the uh, statement to and his assistant who I gave the statement to over a year ago, telling him about this entire scheme telling them about Alan setting up the RCMP. Oh, there's another one. I'll certainly be uh, um, certainly be asking the RCMP officer who's uh, was aware and the head of the RCMP, who obviously this officer reports to, will get them subpoenaed too. What does it tell you about the culture of Alberta politics? It tells me it's a filthy cesspool. I saw less corruption when I was in Moscow. I saw less corruption when Mikhail Kordakovsky, that animal, that pig who tries to pretend that he's some kind of saint, he hates Putin. Great, join the club. A lot of people do. But the fact is, Mr. Kordakovsky and Yusko Koyal ripped people off. He murdered and killed people left, right, and center. And he's a dirtbag. And, and I'll tell you something. Compared to these guys in Alberta, he doesn't even reach enemy number one. When, when can you give me an idea of the timeline between when this Nenshi scheme happened and when the Richard Marsh thing happened? How long be between those two jobs? Uh, that job was 2019 in uh, Alan Holman. I met uh, shortly thereafter. Uh, he put me on jobs trying to track down people who were harassing him. Uh, then he put me on a string of other jobs, um, all small ones and uh, mostly I could find and discern the pattern. It was try to plug up leaks in the UCP identity theft investigation. Um, I gave him some help. He started to trust me. Uh, he told me when the cops left, the, uh, the RCMP officers left their recorders behind. Uh, he told me to be quiet about it, be safe. Uh, he told me that he had forwarded those uh, recorders and the information on them back to the UCP, um, to the justice minister and uh, a few others. Um, that's when I made sure the RCMP knew that the recorders were at Mr. Hallman's house and that he had allegedly made copies. That's why they went back to get them. And, Holman and there's a record of that too, Mr. Hallman. And, and, and Hallman was never charged with anything. 
No, no, of course not. He was also the guy who asked me uh, to record and try to entrap Officer Morrissey, uh, except Mr. Morrissey was well aware of what was happening. Uh, He allowed Alan Holman to pay for the hotel room uh, after seeing the emails in the uh, hotel I was going to meet the RCMP at to uh, tape this meeting. Um, Basically, the moment Alan took that tape and turned it into his friends at the Calgary Police Service, as he called them, uh, the clock started ticking on that RCMP investigation. And Alan Holman, I guess it's worth pointing out, um, was hired to be the political fixer of? Daniel Smith. This is like what a shock. It's like a reality show for the like most bumbling like political criminals of all time. Yeah, you get a drunken campaign manager to manage a campaign for premier not so bright. Trademark pending. Yeah. It's 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 I don't know. This must be an older photo because she actually looks pretty good in that photo. I, it's so funny. Sometimes I, I look at Daniel and I'm not trying to make it about looks. So don't, don't send me emails. But, you know, sometimes I look at her. And I'm like, wow, she's she's quite the looker. And then other times I'm just like, holy crap, I can just like, you know, not, I, I don't think she's ugly, but she says such ugly things. Yes. That, it's that naked eye, crazy batshit look when she's talking about eating horse pharmaceuticals and uh, and, uh, and and that smoking having her own Stasi. Yeah. Yeah, it's and, and just normal stuff. Yeah, yeah, t- totally typical stuff. Um, okay, uh, I want to go down the line a little bit more. Who's this guy? Uh, that is Giancarlo Carra, the counselor who uh, was tasked with showing me Calgary. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Okay, so he's, is is he, uh, you know, part of this crew or is he... You know, just a guy that you would depose um, because it, it, it fits into the story that you were. No, no, no. On. I would depose. I would depose him. But uh, Giancarlo, I also made him aware of what was going on in December of 2019 to keep him apprised of the situation. Uh, Giancarlo said that he absolutely suspected this uh, as happening and uh, said that they would be, um, you know, basically looking into it, that uh, it is not at all surprising Um that uh, that they had had these sort of attacks on many prior occasions. He then told me about uh, an unfortunate situation where uh, the mayor was uh, sued uh, by some developers who remain unnamed, allegedly, um, uh, that they had been basically undermining the city council for uh, years. Um, I, I informed uh, Councillor Carra that the RCMP was well aware of what was going on 
and uh, that uh, I wished him the best. And that was really how it, uh, I mean, I'd heard all kinds of awful things um, from, from uh, both the Wenzels, uh, from uh, Joe Magliocca, Sean Chu, uh, from all the business people on that side of the street that I was touring around who were looking for uh, stolen loot uh, about how evil this guy was and how crooked. And, uh, um, I can't speak to that other than he, he, he didn't ask for any money from me. It's a small club, though, isn't it? These Albertan, like these these politicians and their gangster fixers. I mean, it doesn't seem like that ecosystem is that big. No, it was uh, it was surprisingly compact. It was uh, it was so blatant. It was out in the open. There were real, literally battle lines drawn that you could you you, you could see them. It was uh, the factions, and the factions were uh, uh, vicious. They were vicious. So the amount that the, the the Wenzels allegedly were going to pay was fifty grand, and and they allegedly pay. I'm going to keep using that word. Um, paid twenty five grand, and and then they stopped their payment, or did they pay the full fifty? I received, uh, I believe, it was either twenty one or twenty five grand uh, from my first trip, and then after many months of unpaid bills, when I was ready just to wrap it up and walk away, we had a meeting. Uh, prem arranged. I had been pushing for a meeting because I wanted to either. Uh, are, are we going to fish or cut bait here? What do you want to do? Um, things were getting uh, uh, a little bit hot in terms of uh, some of the people asking questions. Uh, there were a lot of, of, of dangerous flashpoints that could burst. Um, I made them aware of this and I made it very aware that uh, it's your choice. Either continue or stop. It is completely up to you. I mean, it's not my call. But what is my call is this is what I'm owed for my expenses. This is what we agreed to prior to the job. This is what I'm owed. Now, are you going to make me whole? I was told that Shane said he would speak with Prem. Uh, we left uh, the room an hour later. Prem told me that Shane had given him, uh, given her $35,000. That was transferred to me. Uh, when I asked if they had been paid, if Prem had been paid her expenses, she cried and told me that they had not paid her. Um, so I gave her, I gave her some money to cover her expenses. Um, and that's when I was extremely upset. And I wrote a letter uh, uh, to the Wenzels, a very polite letter. Um, I can produce it. It's in the Klondike papers, simply uh, uh, saying that if you're questioning my integrity, calling me, I I've never lied to you. Um, you, you are demonstrably uh, in the wrong in this situation. And if you slander me, I will certainly pursue action. I don't think it's wrong to demand somebody to pay their bills. I, I certainly didn't extort them in any way, shape, or form, and made that clear. I'm not an extortionist. No, and but if it, you, it, you it, can I prove mean, it, go ahead because it's not possible. You, you you have to admit, though, it does sound weird, probably to the audience, that um, you know you were you were involved in a shady scheme, and you're talking about integrity. Yes, <laughs> you know, I always have integrity. Like, is, it, is it sort of like an is it like honor among not thieves? Because I don't think you're a thief, but you know what I mean. Like, I have rules. Right, so I have my own rules. I don't care if anybody likes them. My rules are my rules. I don't break them for nobody. What is your code? I don't squish down on little people. They tried to throw Prem Singh into the meat grinder to try to cut this thing off, tie it off, and make it go away. And I'm sorry, but I'm not going to go chase the help for the money that the big boss man on the plantation owes me. It's not how it works. That's one of my rules. Do you think that they believe that um, they can hire fixers like yourself 
and then dispose of them because they are bigger than you? Is that sort of, is it hubris that makes them feel that way? Or do they honestly just like think to themselves, oh, we're the powerful ones and a shady guy like that isn't going to be giving us any problems because what's he going to do? Just blow the whistle? Absolutely. Uh, Unfortunately for them, but you're well aware from discerning the pattern of the last five years of my career, um, anybody who's read them can discern the pattern that every one of the clients who were demonstrably breaking the law ended up paying a price. And that I always did the right thing. And that thread runs right through the last five years. And that was a decision I made. I would only do jobs if there were two baddies and one baddie got it through evidence that was there. Now, whether I had to dig it up or amplify it, fine, but it had to be legit. And if it wasn't, and they were trying to set somebody up, then I just found the new target. And that's the people who hired me. Are you concerned at all that if this lawsuit continues, and I, I told you on the phone today that I'm I'm surprised they haven't withdrawn it yet. And the reason why I'm surprised they haven't withdrawn yet is because of the list of people that you would depose if this ever saw a courtroom and you were like required to tell your side of the story. Look at all these people. This is crazy. Um, are, would you ever be concerned that they would... But that the more that you expose this scheme and the more evidence that you unearth, that you might be facing charges. Charge me for what? You can try. Well, I don't know. Is it legal? If the Calgary Police Service want to charge me, they're demonstrably corrupt. They were aware of this over a year ago. They told me that if I wanted to keep living, so to speak, to get the fuck out of Alberta. Do you think that any criminal investigation that they have would have the integrity when you have evidence, when you try to charge somebody like Prem saying for extortion, when it's clear from the tape that there was no extortion on the word of your pal, Alan Holman, when you're holding said tape of evidence where the RCMP are trying to be set up by Mr. Alan Holman, he takes the tape in and says, commence an investigation and starts. It's an illegitimate investigation. The RCMP were well aware of this operation from its inception all the way through till it became a dead thing. And there was no extortion. There was absolutely no law broken. They didn't get a bribe offer because they never asked for a bribe offer. And there was none implied. There didn't have to be. I'm just trying to wrap my head around whether or not it's illegal for a construction company to pay a fixer to try to tempt a sitting mayor to, to do something shady. Like, that must be illegal, right? Well, it depends on how you interpret it. Who says I was not doing a political study on if the mayor was corrupt? <laughs> okay. Well, you have said that you're not doing a study. Well, it was a study in a way, wasn't it? He wasn't corruptible. So there you go. I'm sure it is illegal, but if I go to jail, so do they. Yeah. Um, and I probably won't be around in six months, so I'm really not that concerned. Let's not, that's a little dark, but you know, well, it's not dark. I mean, you have to understand. I mean, I'm non Hodgkin's follicular lymphoma that, uh, lymphoma that is uh, transformative. And, uh, you know, it's something that I deal with. I go in and out of remission, and uh, uh, it is what it is. But uh, one way or the other, listen, these people, these people who are claiming that I am the boogeyman, they're the ones who hired me, they're the ones who brought me in. 
If they say that I came up with the scheme, yes, that's what you hired me for. I told you this is what I'm going to do. Does this meet your requirements? Yes, you're hired. Okay. Um, have you talked to um, Jesse Brown since the lawsuit came out? Very briefly. He told me that they will vigorously defend their story. They stand behind their story. Okay. Um so you don't expect, uh, so when I was talking to you the last couple of days, I kept on saying to you, I, I, I am in disbelief that they haven't withdrawn this lawsuit yet. Because they got some great of, fixtures, huh? What's that? They must be hiring some great fixtures and PR guys. Well, they, they're hiring, uh, I like to, I, I mean, I got to think of something funny. He looks like the ghost of Fred Thompson. <laughs> Do you remember Fred Thompson? The, the, uh, uh, the guy's great. He's doing my work for me. The, the the guy from uh, uh, Law and Order uh, who also became a presidential candidate not too long ago. Anyways, he, you know, there is a there there is a mystique to this Alberta political soup, um, and the mystique isn't the cool kind of mystique. It's kind of like the um, you know, like you can smell these people coming when they're still around the corner and down the block, uh, you know, because they don't even really seem to try to hide it. You know, like, like they're trying to hide like uh, the, the criminal activities that they're doing, but they also seem so, so fucking blase, especially with each other. Yeah, and they've I, had their way for so long. It's been over 40 years, basically, if you look at it, besides a couple of brief uh, blips on the radar in Alberta, it's, uh, it's become one party rule for so long. The corruption is institutionalized and it's just a way of doing business. I mean, uh, I'm seeing tweets where people are saying, well, you know, the Wenzels put 60 plus million into Calgary. They're uh, yeah. growing. They're, they're respectable people. Well, maybe that's what some people might interpret it as, or I could say that I think they're just common criminals with a lot of money. So if I'm a disreputable carrier, uh, character, I'm sorry, the character traits that they displayed in my presence, uh, make them very unsavory characters and I certainly wouldn't trust them as far as I could throw them. I'm sorry. They ain't no javelins. This is what, this is why I find um, why a lot of people find you so fascinating. It's um, it, it's the first time in my memory uh, ever. In fact, I can't even really think, and, and I, I, I think I've pontificated about this shit before on air about how, how I can't remember a time where a political fixer has gone public ever. Um, and look at the mess that you're causing. And, and, and I think it's a great mess, it's like a Jackson Pollock mess, right? If you will. Um, but it, it, it is, it is amazing to me. Like, like, let's just say, for example, what if this guy became a whistleblower? Do you know what I well, mean? Well, I strongly su uh, suspect that, uh, that uh, at least from certain inside knowledge that Mr. Holman has blown a lot of whistles. But most of those whistling blows are to save his own ass. Okay. I, I can't tell if that's innuendo or not. No, I don't mean it in a sexual way. I mean, he's okay. red. Um, and he, he's been around forever, hasn't he? Sure he has. He like, he's, he was, wasn't he Jason Kenny's bag man at one time? Yep. He was Jason Kenny's, Ralph Klein's. He's uh you know, allegedly, but I don't care if Holman sues me. I mean, anybody whose reputation is worse than mine, it's got to be that guy. I mean, that guy is lower than a snake's belly. I could I could wear a top hat and fucking dance underneath his belly. That's how low he is, a fucker. Do you think um, by now, uh, first of all, do you think that Gerald Shapur knows 
that he sent that Holman sent you screenshots that shows Gerald Shapur sending money to uh, who did he send the money to again? To to pay you, Jerry didn't. Jer, Gerald Shapur didn't want the money coming directly from Miller Thompson or for himself. So who did it go through? Oh, I, who the hell did it go through? Um, I can't remember. I think he had me bill. Uh, bill it was a company. Yeah, it was a company. I think it was Klondike Lubricants or Tilson, one of those ones. Tilson, I think it was Tilson, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was great. It was really nice of him to do that for me, to put that in writing. I, I do appreciate I appreciate all of them sending me e-transfers. It was, uh, it was Yeah, did, nice. did Shapur ever send you an e-transfer? No, no, he wasn't that daft. So he's kind of like, if we were to pick um, the brains of this operation, whether or not we think he's really smart or not, it would be... Shapur, wouldn't it? it would be like he, he's the guy when you were on the on the Zoom call with Diplock and with um was it Chad Holman and uh and no, Nathan not Jacobson? Chad Holman. Uh Alan introduced it, then he jumped off. And uh the first guy to jump off though was Shapur. As soon as uh as soon as Mr. Mitchell started talking, uh talking stupid, Shapur, I don't need to be on this call. And he yeah. Uh, Excuse that was when yourself. Brad Mitchell said, uh, let's get rid of Trudeau by, by any means necessary. Yes. Um, and then Shapur was like, uh, I'm out of here. <laughs> I don't need to be here. Yeah. I don't need to. No I, shit. My, my condo is driving through a tunnel. I don't know. The reception's bad. I got to get out of here. The other uh, guy, and- the English guy on there was pretty smart too. Mixed range. He was easy, easy. He didn't want to hear it. He was, uh, he was trying to tell Mitchell to keep his mouth shut. So uh, let's talk about Gerald Shapur for a second, because he is whenever I whenever I think of the uh, Plymouth Brethren Christian Church um, and whenever I think of the uh, conservative political ecosystem in Alberta, the connecting tissue is always Gerald Shapur. He is. Is it is it that he's a lawyer? Is that what kind of gives him the Teflon in order to just, you know, kind of do whatever he wants? I know he's careful. I know he's smart, right? I know he's also kind of a religious fanatic. I believe he's a Seventh-day Adventist, right? Yes, I believe um, so. And I know that he prides himself on protecting uh, the freedom of religion, uh, not just in Canada, by the way, but he's pretty well known in Republican Christian circles in the States, correct? Yes, he is. He was even known to uh, a couple of my Republican contacts that are in my files. Um, it, funny enough, it was during the uh, uh, work I was doing on the Sherman investigation for the private team that Mr. Chapur's name first popped up in connection with Apotex as a lobbyist. So I was vaguely aware of who he was prior to meeting him. Okay. What do you expect will happen with all this? Well, if we proceed, I expect it'll be a hell of a show. Can you expand on that a little bit? Well, we're just going to get people on. I mean, the fact is, I, I can't wait uh, um, to to call. I mean, they're going to have their say. They're going to frame it the way they are. And they're going to try to sacrifice people who were their friends who had nothing to do with this. And um, they're going to try to spin the narrative that all of these very uh, 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 bright people were somehow misled or very, very slow. And I, uh, uh, being so uber uh, 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 convincing, was somehow able to uh, 
get them to go along with my schemes to remove the mayor, kidnap Richard Marsh and get rid of a prime minister. None of whom who were particularly on my radar for any real reason. Uh, I mean, I met Richard. He seems to be a nice enough fellow. I, I can't imagine I'd ever get worked up enough to want him dead. No, Richard is like one of the nicest men I know. Like, yeah, really, I, yeah. I, uh, was one of the, one of the problems, right? You see, uh, you know, it was funny when I was shadowing him. I saw him walking with his wife. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty clear to me that these people had had a pretty rough go. I mean, I got to read the private detective uh, case files that were furnished to me describing uh, how they stalked his wife and, and frightened her. Uh, it was uh, it's pretty sick shit. And the Canadian um, capo of the Plymouth Brethren Christian Mafia, Brad Mitchell, somehow secured his wife's phone logs. Is that right? He did indeed. He uh, secured those phone logs. He was also the individual who uh, volunteered to get the numbers for Mr. Dennis. Uh, I was uh, having a casual conversation with Brad and it came up when he uh, mentioned to me that he could get me any numbers that I needed ran. I said, it's funny you should say that. I said, I just took on a new client who's friends with uh, Mr. Holman. And, uh, oh, give me the numbers. Tell me what they are. Yeah. Um, I'm going to put this up. I don't want you to say anything yet because I'm not going to expand on it. Um, but Ryan Lindley asked, does David know anything about the sermons he brought up Apotex there? Um, how about we just tease that there might be something coming down the pipe? Yeah, in 2018, I met up with uh, members of Patrick Brown's inner circle. They were looking to hire me because I had warned them several months before his removal what was coming. I gave them the outline of the plan and the mechanics. Of course, they didn't believe it until after the fact. Then they brought me in. Um, the first day I was uh, meeting them, uh, uh, I was required to meet with the head of the investigation team, uh, who was there at the assistance, uh, in the insistence, I should say, of Mr. Brown's uh, uh, financial uh, backers as lawyers who were born. You're, leaving, you're going to leave his name out of it for now? Uh, no, no. That gentleman's name was Tom Klatt. He had just accepted the job as the lead detective on the private team for the Sherman. So I met him that morning. We agreed to stay in touch. We did. Um, I had heard a few things in Russia uh, about the reselling of expired medication uh, stuff that had been donated that uh, was turning up for uh, sale on the streets in Eastern Europe. Uh, I thought that perhaps that might have a clue. Tom asked me to look into it. We came to a formal agreement. Uh, then I poured through the case files and noticed that one of the individuals mentioned in the story was a Israeli Russian gangster uh, who I had recognized the name from a gas tax scam in New York state in the early nineties. Um, so I got to work on the investigation and, You'll see in the Klondike files, and those who have them, that I ended up in a hotel room in the summer of 2019 in Vienna with a, another private team of uh, uh, Israeli Defense Forces, ex-Israeli Defense Forces operatives that were hired by Jonathan Sherman and his best friend, Adam Paul. And, and um, it gets a little bit crazy from there. Yeah, let's, I, I, I think you gave away a little bit too much. <laughs> but but um, let, let's just say this. Um, I, I know the story. Um, I know the, I, I don't know what you would even call it. Like this, I guess you not, you would call it a theory or, you know, or it really strongly looks like something. And, and when people find out um, 
you know, what the bigger story with the Sherman murders is. I feel really kind of nervous even talking about it on the podcast. Because, yeah. Well, I mean. Well, they were camped outside my house for over a year. That's why I had to leave the first city. It was getting a little hot for me. I told Hallman that at the time when I said, hey, you got anything out there for me? I'll come. Because it was getting pretty uh, off the hook where I was. Yeah, it's 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 a little crazy. And and I can I can hear my lawyer. Um, I can feel the spirit of my lawyer. Actually, lawyers don't. I'm not making any claims on who killed them. I won't do that. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) Good. Because I want to live just in case anyone wants to come and kill me. I live in Oshawa. I swear to God. I don't live in Oshawa. Um, where are, uh, how, what is the timeline? Did, you, you only talked to Jesse Brown for a second today. Did he give you an idea of what's next as far as his legal maneuver? And you guys are he not. He hasn't getting... received a, a statement of claim. He hasn't been served. I haven't been served. Uh, as far as I know, Prem Singh hasn't been served. Uh, so I'm waiting to be served. Um, I will tell them where I am. They got to find me. That's their job. Uh, you know, I'll have my uh, lawyer, uh, speak with their lawyers and uh, they can work it out and uh, we can work out our strategy to counter sue. I plan to sue them all for a great deal of money. Um, I know she's not an innocent party necessarily, but because she was sort of fed to the wolves, what advice do you think Prem Singh should be following right now? I think she's following whatever advice she's getting. I mean, I wouldn't say that she was guilty of anything. I mean, she was convinced that the mayor was corrupt um, when it looked like that wasn't the case, then she was fine with it. Okay. It is what it is. I mean, she was the conduit. It wasn't her money. She didn't have any money. Uh, the money that was provided to her was given to me. And, and, uh, um, so I don't know really, I mean, what she did wrong, except people can say she, but these people all do this all the time. They just put a shiny coat on it by calling themselves political action com- uh, committees. They engage in dirty tricks every day. So it depends on uh, people who live in glass houses shouldn't be chucking rocks. I feel like, like okay, then I'll just keep it personally. I, I, I personally believe that Prem Singh should just throw everything on the table, everything that she knows. You know, because if, they're, if the wolves are trying to eat her, then maybe it's time for her to, to, to sort of do a mea culpa and at the same well, time, she needs to because I'm not going to throw her to the wolves because she didn't do. She wasn't the one who hired me. I mean, I'm not going to. Lie. It isn't just the knowledge of this scheme kind of make people guilty of something, not necessarily a well, crime. The hell, you like, better clear out the penitentiary because three quarters of the people in Alberta knew about it. Yeah, what is wrong with you, Alberta? What happened? Well, the, the place like, like Ralph, is beautiful. Oh no, no, I know it's beautiful, beautiful but, uh, but I feel like Ralph Klein got drunk for four decades and. Everyone else just kind of felt drunk after that. There you go. Right? Like, not Halsey. Yeah. I'm sure he matched him drink for drink. He's still going strong. Is he still alive? I'm sorry, Ralph Klein, if you're listening, but not Ralph Klein. I, I, I'm uh, Mr. Hallman. Is, I'm assuming I don't even know. Alive. Ralph I mean, not alive. even happy hour yet. Is Ralph Klein alive? No, he's not. Is he? No, no, no. He died in 2013. Okay, good. Not not good, but you know, I'm 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 glad he's not suffering anymore with whatever liver disease he may have had. Um, but yeah, okay. So I I don't know if there's anything left to cover on this story right now, unless there's something that you could think of, because I don't want to I don't want to you know tread water here. But I I, I want to know. I, I I I don't even know what question to ask anymore. We've gone through the cycle of people that you might depose. 
Um, you know, uh, you've talked to Jesse for a brief moment. He doesn't think this, anything's going to come of this. I that if I was advising these idiots from Shane Holmes, I would say withdraw this lawsuit before David Wallace takes Alberta and shakes it by the ankles until every corrupt person falls to to the ground. That's what we're going to do. We're going to we're going to shake it till everybody falls. And uh, when we premiere the fix, uh, I believe that we're going to go in uh, probably seven to ten days. You and I are going to we're going to bust out the pilots. If this thing does go to court, we'll be doing the fix five uh, podcast live every day from the damn courthouse steps. Every step of the way, um, the books that I'm writing are uh, largely complete. Uh, there's four volumes. Uh, we have a Patreon. Um, also yeah, put gonna... up a GoFundMe. Uh, the GoFundMe is uh, there for legal defense fund. I mean, these people have a lot of money. And uh, basically, that's what they're hoping. They're hoping they can litigate this into the ground until everybody shuts up. So if uh, you want to if you want to contribute to the GoFundMe for our legal defense fund, that would be great. Um, yeah. I'm and, post uh, it right here. Let's, let's just uh, let's just keep hammering away. That's it. We're gonna okay. see this through. If this is the way they want to go. Let's go. Oh, there was one last uh, person that you would depose that I haven't uh, put up yet. So, um, so who is this person, and what would you be asking him? Oh, Pierre Polar. Yes, <laughs> the official leader of the opposition. <laughs> well, during the uh, meeting with Jonathan Dennis, he was on the phone with Mr. Polar and uh, shared a funny. Uh, uh, story about me, the Wenzels, and the cock up he called it the peacock job. And uh, but that I was a dependable guy, and if he needed any services, that uh, he would be happy to introduce us. So I think that's something Canadians should should hear, especially yeah. uh, uh, the courts. So, it's so funny. Like you could end up like you, you're such a disruption um, to that. You know, to to that part of society that that political class that thinks that they can get away with everything you're like a you know you're I, I, it's it's so interesting to me that this whole like whistleblower uh identity that you've been able to cultivate for yourself um by going from doing dirty tricks to just being like like you feel it feels like you're born again or something like like, like i can't even imagine you going back to political fixing unless it was like you know, campaign advisor or something instead of like you these never do tricks. that shit again. I mean, it uh... doesn't it not. I was talking to someone today, uh, or maybe it was yesterday, and I was trying to explain to them. Oh, oh yeah, someone joked with me all, all, on the phone. I'll, I'll leave this person's name out of it, but someone joked with me over the phone. I was talking about your case. It was when I, I, I was trying to find a lawyer um, to to sort of represent you on this, and and I think I found one, and um, and. You know, we'll talk about that later. But the person that I was going to to see if I could get them to help me, um, she says, "How can I get like why why can't I get fifty grand to like you know do a dirty trick?" And I said to her, "I'm like, listen, it's literally the, like one of the main things that cracks the foundation of our democracy. Like, dirty tricks in politics is one of those things that no one really knows about." Right. No one, <clears throat> excuse me, no one really understands just how dirty it is in that world. What you are doing and uh, and I'm not trying to blow sunshine up your ass is is actually so important to the overall health of our eventual healing when it comes to these these like these years that we've gone through with dirty politics and and our leaderless country. 
we're leaderless because of these kinds of antics, are we not? We are indeed, and it's because it's the death rattles of a, of a dying system. I mean, uh, people are scared right now, and uh, that fear is being amped up, and it's being amped up because the oligarchs of the old guard, those of the petrochemical industry, those people who own the uh, legacy media, they're happy with the way things are. They don't care that we're killing this planet. They don't care that we're, we're slowly poisoning our water, are killing our crops. Um, it's called climate change and it's very real. Um, these people spend tens of millions of dollars every quarter trying to convince you that it's not real. These are the same people who own 90% of the wealth while the rest of the population gets by on whatever's left by. We need a more equitable world. We need, uh, uh, we need a new revolution, a new uh, way of life. And that's a way that progressive people have been talking about. It happens to be something I believe in because I've been all over the world and I've seen this same system and how it crushes people, how our leaders are bought and paid for, how our, our, our industries, which are supposed to be working with and building cities and communities are poisoning them. There needs to be a better way. And if I don't stand up, well, then I, what have I done? And if I do, will I be successful? Maybe not. Maybe I'm just one little brick in the wall. But if we keep building, we'll get there. David Wallace, thank you very much for joining us again, sir. Uh, we'll talk soon, okay? Tally ho. I don't know. I don't know what to do. <laughs> like the cast of characters. That, can you okay? Just just close your eyes and imagine for a moment that this lawsuit actually goes through. And David Wallace is able to call this person to the stand and this person and Alan Hallman and Jonathan Dennis and Jason Kenny and Daniel Smith, whatever that Russian guy's name is. And then this guy, I think his last name is Strokoff. Um, which I said to David earlier, it sounds like a Russian masturbation contest, but uh, his last name is really Strokoff, so I guess we'll have to deal with that. Um, he looks drunk. I, 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 can you even imagine the circus the, the, like uh, of calling those people and deposing them and watching their house of cards crumble because all of them were so confident that whatever they were involved with would never see the light of day? Um, and let's not forget that the sitting premier of Alberta was the allegedly allegedly was the friendly media that was going to break the story. If the scheme to remove that man, Mayor Nahid Nenshi from power was successful and now she's a premier. I mean, I, I got to tell you, I, I, I hope they go through with it. I, I hope that um, that they're really confident <laughs> in their case so that we can um so that black bulb can be and, and the fix whatever it is if the fix is is on yet um so that we can broadcast our podcast from the courthouse steps in calgary and and watch all of this ridiculousness unfold and it's by the way it's worth noting i just watched i sort of skimmed through it but this documentary on netflix called uh I think it's called the bling ring. And it was about those teenagers that were robbing like Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan and uh, Orlando Bloom and all that. And, and how 
when the producers of uh, that were talking to them before they were kind of implicated in this ring of robberies, their string of robberies, that when the producers of this reality show that they were dealing with before they were found out, found out, they just gave them the reality show because they were like, oh, this is great TV. David Wallace, if he was in the United States and, and was doing the same things and was just as like much of a disruptor, he'd have his own goddamn show right now. Isn't it weird that nobody from mainstream media, nobody, not CBC, not Global, not CTV, none of them are calling David Wallace to ask for comment even. You know, the man has um, started off firing out of the gate months ago on my show and on the Dean Blundell show, just like, like, like as Lachlan said, he just took out a fire hose and just like sprayed us all with like a dozen scandals in the first hour that we were speaking with him. And I had known him for four years and I brought him to the show because um, I was able to contact him after uh, we found out about the reporter stuff where he was able to, to, to glean, um, uh, what was it? The call records from the, re from the reporter or the text messages or whatever it was. And months later, literally everything that he has said um, with the exception of the stuff in Russia, because it's impossible to prove that or disprove that, but everything that he said that, 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 that was uh, relating to domestic politics has come true. <laughs> like all of it. Um, so I understand if it's a little much, the volume of information that he has um, every single show can be a little much. And, you know, I, I can't legally co-sign everything that he says in the moment that he says it. But I, I have a funny feeling that um, not too long from now, we're going to get on another podcast and we're going to go point from point for point, And we're going to be like, he was right about this. He was right about that. He was right about that. When it comes to this lawsuit, I have read the Klondike papers, uh, that the part of the, the, of the dossier that is pertinent to this story. He's right. Um, Prem Singh did indicate that Danielle Smith was on board. Uh, you know, Alan Holman and his role in, in that and in the Plymouth Brethren thing is quite clear. It's spelled out. Um, the Wenzels inside the Klondike papers are clearly, uh, they're trying to, it felt like they were trying to hedge their bets. They, they, they gave 25 grand to David Wallace after David Wallace told him what the scheme was. And all at the same time, like, we're like, um, trying to say things like this, this is a donation. <laughs> and now they're saying in, in the, uh, in the article from the Calgary Herald, they were saying something like, you know, uh, oh, we thought it was just for a political a advocacy or a political donation or whatever. I, I, I can't wait. I can't wait for uh, for this lawsuit to go forward and for David to be able to to depose everybody. People don't understand. He's a disruption. He is he is the glitch in the matrix of Alberta corruption. And I, for one, and and am waiting uh, with bated breath just to see uh, what will come of all this. Tomorrow on Blackballed, we have Damien Hasty. He is a UK resident who has poured, uh, he, has, he has given himself to exposing the political connections and, and uh, subsequent corruption between the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church and the UK government. Um, so that will be 
probably very depressing and uh, frustrating and anger inducing, um, but should make for good content. So we'll see you then. That's tomorrow at noon, by the way. And we'll see you next time on Black Ball. Thanks, everybody. Black Ball. the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate.